0: My name is Scott Newtling, and this is the Mechanical Inc. Podcast. A podcast about open source, the open web, sustainability, and those who want to make the web and the world a better place. Hey, Brian, and welcome to the Mechanical Inc.
1: Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. So, um, yeah. I'm, I wanted to start it one way, but I'm not going to do that because I might give too much away. But I'm going to be a little cryptic. So, what I want to know to get us going is a little bit more about who you are, what you do, um, what gets you up in the morning, and then what is your favorite pizza?
1: Favorite pizza, yeah. Okay, I'll end with that. But uh, yeah, so I'm Brian Douglas, go by B Dougie on the internet, so GitHub, uh, B Dougie on Twitter, uh, or X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and uh, i am founder and CEO of this company called open so we provide organizational level insights into open source but also uh, hopefully soon inner source private repos as well so i'm still working on solving that and uh what gets me up in the morning um man i i i, I guess sunlight i'm a big fan of uh <laughs> i'm a big fan of being outside and sunlight i don't do a lot of outdoor activities but uh, I do enjoy like doing a nice walk in the middle of the day, work from home, found uh, during the pandemic, one of the, the best outlets I could give myself is just a walk around the neighborhood. And uh, I find that it's uh, the most peaceful thing I can do to like de-stress. Um, and then your final question, pizza, favorite pizza. Uh, I I'm a big fan of this Detroit style pizza. Uh, so folks based in the U.S., Detroit being a city in Michigan, uh, they would make pizza in like oil pans. Uh, so uh Detroit's a Motor City. That's uh, where they, a lot of the manufacturers, General Motors, Ford started. But they had like these square oil pans that they would create uh, pizza in. And like you just like grease the sides and you get like a nice crispy crust. It's like a focaccia type bread, so it's pretty thick. Uh, but it's just loaded with sauce, not like deep dish, but it's got, I don't know, it's just way more, way more rewarding when eating than a deep dish for sure.
0: That sounds amazing. I have not had those. I had the classic, like New York pizza when I was in, where was I? Brooklyn uh, a couple of years back, and that was that was quite the experience. But what you described sounds, hmm, I yeah, would
1: love it's, to try it's, that. It's a bit different. Like, if you make it yourself over to like uh, like Sicilian style pizza is what um, that that if you're in New York usually it's or Sicilian. Grandma Style is another one. I forget, actually, Sicilian's Cracker Crust. Grandma Style is the one with the thick crust with the focaccia bread. Uh, tends to get confused. I'm confused about it. But um, yeah, definitely worth trying out. If you're in the Bay Area, Square Pie Guys is the place uh, to go. And I uh, h- highly recommend folks check it out.
0: Awesome. All right. Um, well, you mentioned uh, open sourced. And so I think we're going to dig into that. But I think my first question is. Why does open source need open sourced?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It's the, so uh, I spent almost five years working on GitHub previously to to working on this and there is on the GitHub repo. So a lot of open source happens and majority of open source happens on GitHub. At this point, I could think I could safely say that. Every repo has an insights tab and that insights tab specifically provides insights into that repository. There's no insights on the organization. So, like if you're in an org and you have multiple repositories, like what are those insights? Doesn't exist. Uh, folks end up building it themselves. And uh, what we're trying to do is provide insights for the maintainer to have insights across everything they touch. But then when you when we really started exploring this, like the goal was insights to drive more contribution and engagement. And I think a lot of these tools end up being focused on the end, end user, the contributor. Uh, but there's also a missing piece where like, companies also need these insights. And companies donate to open source, they sponsor stuff, they participate, they they look at their dependency tree and make contributions da- like downstream. So um, what what, I, what I'm getting at is like folks just need to know what's happening to know like if the trend is okay, a bunch of cloud projects are are being leveraged, but turns out like downloads are going down. Uh, sorry, downloads go up, but contribution goes down. Like that becomes a very clear bus factor concerned, um, not to mention like security concerned on just trying to identify how many people in your organization are making contributions where, like who has keys to, to what access and who has access to private data. And um, there's like this, just being able to have observability inside of open source is like what we're trying to solve. Uh, and I, I think it's very, very important. Like once you start looking at the data, uh, which we can go into like some examples as well, um, it becomes way more eye opening
0: yeah for sure i totally get that whole thing about it being a, like the insights tab is super useful and i i also like the the one tab where you can see like community standards so you can see like oh your repo is missing x y or z and therefore you know like it's missing a code of conduct or it's missing a, a good readme or a contributing document all that kind of stuff but when i uh was still at, M- at mozilla and working on mdn that was one of our challenges was organizationally wide seeing what's happening because the MDN org is like, I don't know, I, we whittled it down at some point to, I think, just over 30 or 40 repositories and going to each individual one to check insights. Yeah, that And also, yeah. it's, a, it's a little misleading because... Um, what you could see on the repository level doesn't necessarily give you an oversight of the organization level. Like you no. need to, you have to like extrapolate that yourself through using like a Google Sheet or something like that. You know, like yeah.
1: drawing trends. I mean, it's basically Chrome tabs. Like if you're using Chrome or whatever browser, tab on tab on tab, look across the ecosystem, find out who's doing what. You could also do this through GitHub. Uh, like GitHub provides an API, so consuming a lot of this data through the API, it's possible. Uh, but also what happens in that situation is like you build a cool little side project to s- solve a problem. That problem's still a pain point. It's working. But like what happens when you leave the company and now this little side project to you source this data is no longer being maintained. You start over. Um, so like what we found in our sort of go to market is like there's a lot of people who have built open source internally. Uh, and it's been pretty straightforward for us to ask, like, have you already built this already? Like, let's just replace what you're. Already doing and this leverage our tool. And like what we want to do is eventually build a standard of what are the metrics and the things that you should be looking to uh, to identify opportunity within open source. Uh, so, for example, like everyone centralizes around stars uh, for like a, a metric of traction and awareness. And I think early days in the project, stars matter more than they do later. Uh, for example, like jQuery has 54,000 stars, jQuery is now a, in maintenance mode. Uh, does that mean jQuery needs to be? added to the top 100 projects on GitHub, which it technically is, uh, the answer is no. Um, because jQuery has, it has a, a world that it will continue to live in like folks who still depend on it and, and provide the maintenance. But in reality, what really matters is like engagement. So if you have an open source project issues are really good is insight for identifying interest. So if you open an issue because you found something, you, you reported it, there's like a channel sustainability which is there's a maintainer that will respond to that uh then you look at prs and then how many issues go from uh to pr form or it gets uh basically some traction adoption but then when you look at the pr how many of those prs happen outside of just the core maintainer uh group so a lot of times you're looking for uh stars like a better metric is new contributors uh so like we go from stars to PRs, you can identify who are new contributors and like what are the what's the churn what's the turnover uh this actual ecosystem growing and sustaining itself. Cause like if I'm, if I see somebody with 20,000 stars, but like, I don't know, this is all dependent on the six people who got VC backed funding. Like I still have to wait for that investment to expand and like have some solidity. But for folks who like work in, like for example, Postgres last year, we saw PG vector come out of nowhere uh, from like a, an issue. Someone hey, this would be great if we can add PG vector or the idea of semantic search into Postgres, like that's all driven through open source. So like if I'm making a bet on Postgres versus name another flavor SQL, uh, Postgres has a really, really good, like active and valuable community. uh, And you could see those features get turned around pretty pretty quickly and like adjust your roadmap to them.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. I, I agree with that. 100 percent. i think this this idea of i was going to ask you and then you kind of like answer my question already with the idea that you're creating issues and then do those issues translate into prs and do those prs translate into landed prs that closes the issue um so that you basically you you're you're viewing the entire circle you know of contribution to a project because it's one thing to open an issue and those things are super useful Um, and it's it's an avenue of contribution to open source that a lot of people don't realize is incredibly valu- valuable. Um, but then obviously if those issues just sit there, then then that doesn't help because now you're just shouting it a void. So do people actually pick them up and say, okay, let's do something about this. And then like you said, is it only a certain number of people that's always picking them up Or is there a wider actual community picking up the issues, turning them into PRs? And then how long does it take for that PR to go from open to resolved? Whether that's closed or merged is a different thing. But, you know, how many of the the issues become PRs? How many of the PRs actually land?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's fascinating when you really look at the data. Uh, And, like, what we're really working on today is, like, we just want to provide some opinions on how to look at this type of data. Uh, and then those opinions would draw in more users and more more feedback on what else we can also do. Um, so that it, it's, yeah, it, it's always fascinating when I see someone tweet about, hey, we hit a milestone in stars. And like for some of the newer projects, it's like, wow, that's amazing. Like 25,000 stars and like you just started six months ago, like definitely worth shouting about. But like with projects been around for like five, 10 plus years, like you don't really hear like the Vue.js and the React community saying, oh yeah, we hit 300,000 stars. Because now that's, that's like, what does that matter? At, at this point, and what's, what, the reason why I reacted so well, uh, and, and I, I come from the front-end space, so like, I know way more about the JavaScript ecosystem than people probably should know about. Um, but, like, reacted so well because they got way more adoption outside of Facebook at the time. And as the Facebook community, or sorry, the React community, uh, specifically what, what happened, like, the, the lore is. I I work in San Francisco. I worked at a company that used React in San Francisco. The React core team would meet at a company in San Francisco and invite all users of React to come ask questions, which is not sustainable, but it's super valuable when you think about all the companies that came out of that ecosystem, where I can talk to Dan Abramoff, I can talk to Tom Okino about, hey, you know what? I was trying to do this weird thing in JSX, which again, like not the best... Like, React's not perfect by any means. Like, not the best framework. Uh, it's doing a lot of weird stuff. It solved the Facebook problem. And then everyone's convinced, oh, yeah, I've got those problems too. Let me use it. But there are, there are frankly, other better front end JavaScript libraries out there that have been coming out since. But the adoption of getting outsiders inside and then making contributions and understanding who to talk to, like, you can't beat that. And I think the, to emulate that, like, not everyone's going to fly to San Francisco and meet at Pinterest to, to talk to the core team. Emulate that through conversations and issues and responses and RFCs and a participation of, like, when, when they set up the next ReactConf in Henderson, like, they look for folks who are par- participating in the ecosystem. So, if you made contributions, first time contributor, like, what's that story? Come on stage, talk about it. To so show longevity. I think the, the Python community does a great job of finding up and comers and giving them space to talk to, but not everyone has the time and the patience to go through tab and tab and tab and to, find out all this data and find out who's in the ecosystem. And what we're trying to do is, is spend five minutes on open source, we'll show you. And uh, you can go about go on on with your day.
0: Well that sounds really interesting. So how how can open source help there with this whole idea of identifying like new contributors that show that they're really, you know, keen on being part of the project?
1: Yeah, so our recent release we we shipped this feature, which we're calling list. We're gonna rename it actually pretty soon. Uh, but we just needed a, a generic name where you create a list of your team, the engineers that are participating. Uh, so the idea there is like, if you could identify who your core team is, uh, If using, so like we're, we're GitHub agnostic, but like we're definitely leaning into GitHub because of being the place that it's easier to find and discover open source. You connect your organization uh, or really just log in with GitHub. We know any public orgs you have. Uh, you set, select those orgs and then you select the team. So if you do have a core team set up on GitHub, uh, then you can link that to a list and now you have a, a good understanding of, okay, these are the five people who make contributions regularly. Who's everyone else? Uh, and then you start asking a question of like, oh, this is a new contributor. These are folks who contributed between January to April, but disappeared. Uh, but they did this, this, and this, maybe we can bring them back in to help with like the next release because they have domain specific expert or expertise on this. And like that, just that simple awareness of like, oh yeah, you, you did contribute like months ago, uh you have gone to the, the the hardest part, which is cloning the repo, setting up locally and having it run. Uh, not everyone uses Docker. Um, like, that One of the hardest thing to do is like identify not first time, good first issue contributors, it's second time contributors. So like, if you've gone to the hurdle of like, you already have it set up and you've done, like you know how test works, you know how compiler works, how do you get those people to stay? And how do you like organize your community or interaction around just knowing who those people are? And I think a lot of these tools that are doing this community management and growth, it really indexes on new interactors, not second time interactors. And like, what we always wanna do is just split out normal contributors, team members, employees to, wow, this person comes back for more and more. And let's just have a conversation, find out where you work. Um, actually, w- one story which is one of my engineers, he maintains a lot of Angular projects. And he his complaint was, uh, and the perfect person to be working on this problem with me, is he would only find out if there were companies using his open source if he went to a conference. So he had to go speak on stage and then someone would come up to him and be like, hey, I love what you're doing. I, we actually use it at Google. And it would be mind-blowing and also infuriating because, you know, you, as an open source maintainer, you're like, oh, please donate to our sponsorship. Uh, but then you go to a conference, like, oh yeah, Google and Facebook's all using your stuff. Oh, like, could you sponsor this? Like, but you don't know until you go to a conference. And like, how do you make that more organic experience of like, oh yeah, these are folks who are interacting our issues. These are the companies they work for. These are ways to get in touch with them and ask questions about how we can help support whatever you're doing at Google.
0: Very interesting. So I was, I was thinking like with those, those lists where you can now, so you have a team set up inside GitHub that says uh, core team, let's say for example. Now, let's say you have a contribution ladder Right. So you start off as um first time contributor and then maybe you've done a certain number of things. Now you graduate to the next. Like the CNCF has this kind of thing. Like I learned about that when yeah. we did this project template and one of the things they have is this contribution ladder. So, you know, it, it it helps in two ways. It like gives the contributor a a sense of potential growth within in the open source project like i could become a core contributor it's actually doable it's not something that's just for people that work at a company or whatever Um, but now so say for example you take that and you turn that into teams inside github would you then be able to manage those lists also like that so you'd be able to hook up those other ones and then as people transition through those you can kind of keep an eye on as they move
1: yeah, I mean, everything's everything's possible with enough code, what I always tell the team. Um, but yeah, it, it's really an education thing right there. It's like, I, I think a lot of people have these contribution ladders, and I'm familiar with the CNCF as well. Like, we're folks to start like review, triaging, label issues, to eventually review PRs, to eventually go grab an issue, uh, and then go join a SIG, uh, or, or whatever the, the eventual stepping ladder is. Uh, but I think the, the challenge for most maintainers is like, it's, it is education, but it's also bandwidth. So it, it would take a lot for me to like, I need, I need that system because I can't go find the people and then go invest time with them. And then they disappear because they got a better job or they got their first job, second job, whatever it is. And now they don't have the time anymore. Um, so like that uh, unfortunate cycle, people cycle off and, and cycle in, um, having that structure and team, but uh, and the way that open source is built, like we, we want to sync with that team. So if someone leaves the first time contributor cohort uh, and it and Excel, like advance into a contributor uh, with commit access uh, that can then be synced of, okay, this person's removed from this list, this person is now in this list. And now we keep that syncing alive. So technically that feature is not live yet. Uh, we're working on that and working with some other design partners to make sure it works well for, open and inner source uh, private repos as well, because not all teams are public. Um, but the idea there is like, I'm, I'm an OSPO lead at an organization. I already know all my, my what, 60 open source contributors across the entire organization. Uh, I want to create a team for them. And if they leave the organization, they, they take a new job somewhere else. They roll off that team. I'm no longer watching what contributions to make. Uh, but it, it's also in the same vein, like. If I can see where people are contributing, I can also participate in that ecosystem, do sponsors. What we have today is most people will show you your dependency tree and you sponsor based on what you're dependent on, which is yeah. a good first step. Uh-huh. But like, what about what, what contributions come because you pay someone a full-time salary? So you might not use yeah. this technology uh, and depend on it, but that, out, that outlet and that opportunity is like, hey, we have somebody contributing to a CNCF-sponsored project Uh, yes, we will sponsor them to go to KubeCon. Uh, But then it's hard to validate that today because there's not that connection. And we're trying to build that other other half of that connection.
0: Yeah. So at what point would somebody introduce open source to their organization or project? Is it more like organization than project or is it valuable in both?
1: Uh, It's valuable in both. What we're finding is like, I, I've kind of identified like two different personas, like insiders and outsiders. Uh, so, like an insider is like I maintain this thing. I know what's going on. I know these people. Uh, maybe it's not too big uh, that I kind of know everyone like by the back of my hand. Um, those folks will definitely get use of open source in seeing things like PR velocity and seeing contributions and seeing comparison uh, based on different contributors. Um, like 100% open source is ready for them to use today. It's free, no limitation. Uh, all you have to do is connect your GitHub account and set up some syncing of organizations. Uh, the outsider is like more the the folks who, they participate in the ecosystem. They don't technically have open source in their organization, but they have a ton of engineers that participate in other places. Uh, and those folks are currently my conversations around that persona, because that's, I think, the most interesting, like we, we are a, a um, we did take some VC funding. So like we are looking to be a profitable company and sustain itself, but also support the ecosystem in a way. So despite us being like mostly open source product and engineering, uh, we do we do have a, a pathway to basically revenue and that the second half is the, our main ideal customer profile.
0: Okay, um, so if you've hooked up open source to your GitHub org, let's stick with GitHub for now, um, what is the first things that you're going to do? How are you going to start using this thing?
1: Yeah, and this is, uh, I do have to apologize up front because as engineers, like not everything as is, the onboarding is not as clear. Uh, We are actively fixing the onboarding based on feedback and based on our our users. Like our product went live in January of this year. Uh, We're now approaching almost a year to that date and we've learned a lot about what people are successful with. So uh, first thing, like if you're, In open source, your insider, you are a maintainer and you have specifically a project or organization you want it to sync up with. Uh, We have a a tab called Insights. Uh, The idea there is that you create an insights page, you type in an org, we'll grab the repos for that org or multiple orgs. Uh, And that's one of the benefits. It's like in GitHub, you see one org at a time. You get insights on each repo, but you never get to see across your ecosystem um so for that reason you just add the orgs or the repos you want you save the page and now you see insights across multiple repos uh who's contributing um what's currently open or closed prs and we do centralize the data today around prs uh, we will have issues coming soon uh, as well as like pr reviews uh, are not live in the, in the app yet uh, but the idea is there is like you can open up for five minutes a day uh see what your pr velocity looks like what are open prs uh, what are new contributors you should be reaching out to and checking out that PR? Uh, and that's what we have today. Uh, then we have a second feature, which is called list, uh, which is pretty generic name for a feature or to change that name, uh, to contributor list um, pretty soon. Uh, but that's just to get the list of contributors. So if you want to start looking at not just repos and, and what contributions look like, but look at contributions based on teams. Uh, so me personally, I have an open source, a triage team. Uh, and these are folks who label issues and participate. And every now and then they'll do a PR. Uh, if I just want to see who the what the triage team is working on and where they're coming from, I have a list for them. Then I have like full-time staff. So I've got folks uh, at, this, at the moment, we've got five engineers, or sorry, four engineers who work, five including me if you count me as an engineer, uh, who are working on open source uh, that are in a list. And I can now see what full-timers are working on, what PRs are in flight, what got merged, uh, and then the next step would eventually start looking at releases to see what makes a release uh, and start seeing some trends of, okay, s- some people have churned off. They don't no longer make a contribution. And that scenario I was mentioned before, like, Hey, can we reach out to this person based on their knowledge and expertise? So today we do insights based on PRs. Um, we'll be adding issues soon. Uh, and then we are, we're out of it. We're not looking at actual files um, specifically. So we're not looking at the code because we want to make sure we're, 100% compliant on that GPL and everything like that, uh, but we will be looking at like file names to identify um, things like code owners. So if you don't even know what your team is, what the team is made up today, if you want to generate an idea of like where your core contributors are, uh, we can help do that eventually. So we're hoping to have stuff like that shipped by February of next year. Well, sorry, I should say February Q1 of next year. Um, I got to put my product manager hat on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you've mentioned. Um... PR velocity a couple of times. Like, would you mind unpacking that a little bit? Like, what does that mean in this context?
1: Yeah, this is a and this we didn't want to go too heavy on the metrics before we got feedback, uh, but this is the one we actually did lead with just to start the conversation. So this is like the velocity at, at which PRs get merged. Uh, so like average time to merge. Uh, so I think average is about fourteen days for for most PRs. Uh, I think for our team, like we're about like eight to nine days. Uh, and this is Mainly because we're paying full-time staff to work on this, mm-hmm. but it, it's what we're trying to do is like zoom out and say, okay, full-time staff, you probably have a velocity less than 14 days. If it's all volunteer work in nights and weekends, you probably have closer to 28 days. Uh, but the idea is like, nothing's bad, nothing's wrong, but if you just understand what the the baseline metric is, uh, if the majority of the PRs get merged within this time frame, at least you know, okay, some things are getting stale. Maybe we should have a conversation or could we perhaps get a sync going? We can get all the engineers in a Discord channel or community members in a in a weekly office office hours mm-hmm. and have this PR we can talk to is to say, should we just close it? Should we keep it open? Mm. What's the deal here?
0: Yeah, yeah, And so so in the UI it's expressed as a percentage. So if if you have an average PR velocity of seventy three percent, like
1: Yeah. What is so that? Seventy three percent of the PRs. Seventy-three percent of the PRs get merged within those days.
0: Within like fourteen days, okay. Yes. And can you change that? Can you say? Can you set what you think the velocity, or what? I don't think you call this the velocity, but could you say like, ideally, we wouldn't want to be out to be open for longer than twenty-eight days, and then the measurements measured against that.
1: Yeah. So not today yet, but we definitely have had some requests for this exact feature, which is like custom SLAs. Uh, which SLA sounds too much like a customer success sales thing. Uh, but the best way to, to everyone who's done sales to customer success knows SLA as a acronym yeah. service level agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you, if your SLA is 28 days and you're like, we've, we've identified 28 days is the magic number. The majority gets merged in within Let's just Mark anything outside that window, get a, get a report notification. So uh, we do have one enterprise we've been chatting with who they're, after two approvals, they want the thing approved. Sorry, merged in within seven days. Mm, uh, so they don't they don't mind if things go longer than a month, but if they get a second approval, it needs to get merged. And uh, this is really because they have a community CLI that needs to um, still have energy and people participating. And I think one of the best indicating uh, things like that SDKs and CLIs. How many third party contributors or outside contributors make contributions to places that you can extend? Uh, it tends to be a really good funnel for growth and and sales and and adoption.
0: So yeah, insights and lists. My list is empty, but now that I know what it's for, I'm going to fill it in. Um, So there's also an explore tab. What is that one? That one's super interesting.
1: The explore tab is actually our first product. So like we, we built a product with just a dashboard where you could explore based on language and framework. So like Kubernetes is a drop-down because there's a lot of Kubernetes based projects. Uh, there's a few other JavaScript frameworks in that list as, well, as long as uh, as well as a uh, Hacktoberfest. So our first user customer was DigitalOcean and it was in 2022 we built the dashboard not publicly but just for them to identify things like spam. So of the 400,000 repos in 2022, 1% were spam. Um, so like being able to see that broader ecosystem was how the product first started. Uh, We didn't have like a single organization or maintainer that we were serving. We were serving just the broader ecosystem to see if we can get the data presented on the page. So that was, that's what the explore tab is today. Uh, We eventually will, we'll, we'll, uh, we have so many threads that we're working on and things that are uh, prioritized in the roadmap, but this will be later. Uh, uh, We'll revive the explore tab uh, to be more of here, here are a list of of projects and repos that, um, that the community of this podcast are interested in, or here's a, have stuff that we found from Hacktoberfest last year that you can look at this year. Or, uh, eventually, it'll just be more of a discovery tool.
0: Okay. So if I look at, for example, um, the repositories list there, so it picked up JavaScript. I don't know if that's kind of like influenced by what I mostly do on no,
1: GitHub. That's the uh, that's just, just the default. So if you haven't showed us, told us in your settings, you can tell us what languages or frameworks yeah. you're interested in, mm-hmm. and we'll default to that. Okay. Uh, but if you haven't done that, then we'll just show you JavaScript. Okay. Okay. And this is kind of roll of the dice that most folks are disco- discovering probably are familiar JavaScript thanks to all the boot camps that are out
0: there. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Um, so the one thing that that is interesting here is, for example, it has for some of these projects, it's got it on, at the PR velocity. It's got the percentage, but then it's also got days. So React, for example, has got 19 days, 49%. So do they can they kind of set their ideal
1: No, this is us looking at their data and seeing of the PRs that were merged in the last 30 days. uh, What was it? 19% uh, gets merged within those, uh, or 19 days. 19 days, 49%. Yeah. Yeah. So then this is really just an indication to identify like our contributions happening. So like other projects, like a curl, might be much longer, uh, which our search for repositories is not great right now. Uh, So it'd be hard to, to find curl, but uh probably after the podcast you want to look at at curl um they'll have a longer tail for things getting merged uh because it's a much smaller team and not backed by a specific thing
0: yeah Uh, how how is spam identified i see here for BioDrop they've got two prs one percent which has been
1: marked as spam
0: how how's that how do you figure that
1: so the only so basically based on labels. So ah. the way and this was built for Hacktoberfest, the way it's 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 asked for maintainers that participate, if you label the PR as spam, then it alerts everybody else by putting them in that, that field. So Biodrop is as a big participant in, in Hacktoberfest, so they know the drill. Not every other project is doing spam. So we do have uh, we do have a basically a prototype of like how to identify spam using machine learning. Um, it's not live yet, but eventually, like if those two PRs are people who stand other organizations, then we can use some machine learning to identify, okay, this is a, a known actor, bad, uh, actor or a yeah. bad actor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then it's like onto the, the user to basically like course correct and stop doing that, or, uh, they're just going to be marked on a list. Um, so we haven't built that yet to, to, to be very clear. Uh, a lot, everything we're doing is open source. Like we do have a bunch of issues opened. Uh, you probably could find the spam issue and comment there if you have any other thoughts. Uh, but the idea is like we we eventually want to do like what Block Party does for Twitter and Instagram, where you share a list of people who are, are bad actors. Uh, so that way maintainers can be educated of like, oh, well, you didn't mark this one as spam. Could you just like quickly check to see if this PR that's in your repo is a spam um, contribution let us know, and like we'll eventually do stuff like that in, in product. Just need to figure out like what's the best practice, um, so we're not doing false positives or false negatives. Rather,
0: mm, mm. so it's almost like uh, like your um, ad blockers. <laughs> you got your block list, <laughs> block list of known yeah, bad yeah. actors.
1: Yeah, I mean this uh, similar similar structure, like the like the way we had it, um, we sort of orchestrated like confidence level, so. And this is like something else that way, as far as insights and metrics we're working on right now, uh, we're doing a huge infrastructure overhaul right now. So uh, a lot of our new insights have been paused until we can re- uh, reconnect our new infrastructure. Um, but the the thing that we've sort of internally been mapped out is like confidence level of what's the confidence that this person will is a spammer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and the idea there is like, if you look at every single PR title and it's like fixed typo, fixed typo, fixed typo, or like white space removed, you can quickly identify, okay, this is confidence level is pretty high. It's probably spam. Maintainer, please confirm that this is spam, and then we'll let other maintainers know mm. that you're interacting with a known spammer. Okay. But the same confidence level, like what we've been trying to do is actually map out stars to PRs. Uh, so like where everyone focuses on star being the metric. Uh, we kind of walked through this earlier. Uh, this is how successful my project is, how many stars we have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's the confidence that the star is actually going to turn into a contribution or even an issue comment? Uh, because like if you truly have a bunch of stars, like how many of those stars engage in the comments exactly. and are interested and have engagement in your project? And the confidence level is usually pretty low for because a star is low effort. But if I get a if I get a high confidence star from a person, I'd love to be notified of like, hey, I st- you started the project. I saw you doing this, this, and this. Looks like you cloned the template. Uh can I can I help you with the thing? Do you want to join the triage team? Can we can you join the office hours, find out more about what you're doing at Google? Like like, this is usually what happens. Like you get a bunch of interesting actors, mm-hmm. but not everyone has the confidence to be actually make a contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's a story that I, I shared on, uh, on my podcast The Secret Sauce. I, I was talking to former head of ML at, at, um, at uh, Figma, was working on a different project um, in Pora and CEO of a series A company, went to a Python project, uh, which was my guest. And basically it was like, hey, I found the something's blocking me upstream. Would love to like see if I could fix this. Uh, and the maintainer responded of, uh, I don't have any time. Like, feel free to like check out the docs or like triage and come back. But yeah, don't have my have bandwidth to even look into this. In that same breath, that same maintainer is like on a, in a block series and a get get a read me. I don't want to out anybody in this this conversation, but. Specifically, like I'm maintaining 90 plus projects in the Python ecosystem. I don't have, I, I need sponsorship. And like right there in front of him was a person who was a series A company looking to solve a problem for his roadmap. Could 100% contract and sponsor for that solution, but that maintainer didn't know who he, who he was talking to. So like on the inverse of spam, what if this is just a known good actor or a known person who needs to unblock something in his roadmap to then would take contract money or or time or conversations and i think with um with open source it's different than like a twitter or even speaking at conferences like we're we, we tend to gravitate to the people who are known celebrities but we all know 100 percent not everyone who stands on stage is a, a, a rock star engineer uh, or everyone who has a hundred thousand twitter followers is the rock star engineer it just happens that they know how to engage community like, how do you find those engineers who don't participate in social media but validate okay this is actually somebody I should give some value to and and, and pay attention to and respond to and like I, I don't I, I think when you have like a lot of clout like you tend to like get a lot of like if, if united breaks my luggage like I can tweet and be like united broke my luggage and like united will get back to me and say here's a coupon but in the same in the same vein like open source if, if something breaks upstream and I'm like what's going on, maintainers? Now I'm the bad guy because I'm like, demanding stuff in the maintainers, there's no path to like sponsor or contract, consult, whatever it is. So like, how do we build more awareness around what's a sustained ecosystem, not just on donations, but like on actual value and work needed?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a massive topic that's being discussed quite a lot. I just today released uh, um, a new episode with the folks from Open Web Docs, and they, We talked quite a bit about the whole sustainability because they got the investment from uh, the Sovereign Tech Fund over in Germany to work on browser compact data. And I mean, that makes a massive difference, you know, to have that kind of investment and saying like, we want you, first of all, we recognize the value you contribute. And then secondly, here's money. So you can just focus on making this thing better, not worrying about where you're going to get your next paycheck from, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's that's a big topic. Um, there also seems to be a bit of a social aspect to open source. If I go to the highlights tab, you can follow people, and you have like a home, you have a following, that kind of deal. With what's up there? Yeah, and
1: this is this is um, something that I, we kind of really drug our feet on because uh, we did not want to like. It's like if you're not if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And, like, I didn't want to, like, build a bunch of social aspects and say, okay, folks use our product and then now we're collecting data. But, like, to to put it bluntly, like, we are open source, I want to be very transparent, is, like, the more folks who connect their GitHub account and participate and show their highlights and contributions, that's a better signal than a star. Um, So if your contribution is you made a comment on an issue, like, it shows some influx of community and involvement and, and adoption. Uh, and that's what the highlight feature is. So we built two things in January and February of this year, which is one, uh, we built profiles where you can see all your contributions in one place. Uh, so you can also get recommendations of like, hey, looks like, you know, Rust, we've got a couple of Rust projects that you're, you might be interested into. Seems like there's a good influx of new contributors, save space for you to like get your feet wet and make a contribution. And then the partnership with like maintainers is, but maintainers looking to scale up their community and like, have people show up to like their RSCs and comment, how can they highlight and celebrate, Hey, I've got an RSC. Here's a, an idea for a feature this is what we're thinking about. Let's announce this or announce releases. So like, that's what highlights eventually will be is like, how do I talk about a project in a way that's doesn't have to be social media? Like I, I don't if I tweet it, you will get some adoption, but not everyone has a Twitter following, but if you have captive audience of people who are interested in rush projects to share about your rush project, about your next release, like that's what the highlight is. So um, those social features are how we're basically building more of a ecosystem and a community around the the main product, which is insights into open source projects and organizations.
0: Okay, so um, I was just thinking, like I wanted to ask you the whole spam thing. So we're in, um, for DigitalOcean during Hacktoberfest, you did this very specific thing around spam. Would it be, would it be valuable? Well, I'm guessing it'd be valuable for open source, but would it be valuable in general if this becomes a thing that people do on GitHub, in just in general, not just through Oktoberfest, just in general? Yeah. Because uh, yeah, the tricky thing with that is it's it's like this one of those double-edged swords kind of things. Because now you as maintainer, first of all, it takes time to do that. Secondly, you now have to put this label on there that's there for everybody to see so it's that kind of thing we're like eh, you add the label it's like spam and not, now maybe maybe there was miscommunication or something but maybe that's an avenue to open up the conversation about why would you market a spam i didn't mean to be this that or that i don't know i'm just thinking about a lot of different yeah, ways
1: this could it, go it 100 like we, we don't need the because the press definitely early contributors new contributors scaling the ecosystem but i think if you really like zoom out, it's, we don't need more juniors and bootcamp grads to join open source. We need more senior engineers who have the bandwidth at the time. Like I was definitely, at GitHub. I was at a point where I was just doing my job in a few hours a day and had a lot of free time to go build side projects and contribute to open source and build some examples and like write blog posts. And I think we all get to that point in our career where it's like, Oh wow, I can breathe. Like I, I've seen this problem before whether you're, you're changing companies every few years or you've been at a company for a long time, you just get to, skilled enough that you could do the job with your eyes closed. And those are the folks who we need to participate open source more. So like uh, open source is really not meant to just be the hack to profess com, like, companion app. Uh, we wanna like, if you want to start your own little hack, hack week or your own operation to get more contributors and more knowledge into the ecosystem as far as like your organization or your, your project is. Uh, we want to make it easier to discover those projects. So if there's a project who is like, I've raised my hand as a maintainer, I would love more contribution, I'd love more sponsorship. Like please throw everything at me that you can, and we'll tell you when we're it's overwhelming. Uh, but there's also projects that literally started only a month ago and are like are scaling up with no documentation, no real like opportunity to slow down and build some more like foundations that could use that extra help of like, could you just test out this next PR? Or could you build a side project we're using our thing? Um, that is the ultimate goal is like, I wanna provide an outlet for folks to get that feedback and and, and get the the validation of them existing within this broader open source ecosystem. Uh, so like just training people how to use spam tooling or training people of like, if there's, there are some bad actors, are there some great people that you should be focused on? Like. Like I, I, I know who the top contributors of all open source are uh, across GitHub because we have the data, we can see the list. I don't know if it's valuable for me to show the top three open source contributors because that's the same problem we have with Twitter and conferences. But if someone's trending upwards or there's some way to celebrate like Women's Month in March, like here are some up and coming contributors that that are maintaining projects that you can also join the community that's welcoming and, and very diverse. Like. We can celebrate those type of things without constantly always making everything a leaderboard, uh, which is kind of what we have today.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I, I totally get you there. So I have two questions coming out of that. So I think the first one, uh, which one should I go with first? Okay, so I think the first one is maybe open source can help here, but maybe it, you just have some general thoughts around it. So how do we identify which projects are welcoming and diverse and safe to contribute to? Because, you know, I know that my experience with open source has been great, but I know that it's not like that for everybody. And it's it's sad, and I would like to change that. But how do we change this? Can open source play a role here? Like, as in detecting spam, it can also use the insights to determine, like, we can clearly see that there's a diverse group of people contributing here and there's a high, maybe there's a high um, velocity here. So it's an active project that PRs get merged quite frequently. Um, maybe those are some indications that can lead you towards saying, if you're looking for a project, this is one of the good ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is, um, so uh, again, I mentioned Brendan Burns. Uh, actually, I don't think I mentioned Brendan. Uh so Brendan Burns co-created Kubernetes. I have a podcast called The Secret Sauce. We actually talked specifically about this and like, how do you walk into a project and know it's a good neighborhood? Um, so I'd recommend anybody who likes podcasts, if you listen to this, you probably do check that out. Uh, but this would be this TLDR, that conversation, which is like, you, you do want to know that question real quick and as quick as possible. And I think what we don't have is a standardization of like, how can I check the boxes of a project is healthy and active and making contributions. So... Um, with the way, and this is like not all documented, but like the way I see it in stages is GitHub issues is a great way to see if there's interest. So it doesn't matter if you have a thousand issues, if you have a hundred issues, like if you have issues, it means there is some engagement. I've seen so many projects have a lot of stars with, with seven issues and it's not a bad thing. It's just like, is this a thing that I should be investing my time into and bringing in house into my organization or even attempting to make a contribution to? It just might be early. And I think if it's an early project, this understanding of that one question, yes or no, early project, then you can make a decision of like, yeah, I'm, I'm down to help build out this ecosystem. I want to participate. It's actually a much better Hacktoberfest project, uh, even though it has less issues. It just, there's a lot more organic stuff you could do without permission of like, hey, I just rewrote your test suite. Let me know if you like it or not. But if you walked into like Kubernetes, like, please don't touch the test suite. We don't need the help. Um, so like, it, that's the difference. But then you see the PRs, how many PRs happen outside of the core team? Not every project, uh, for a long time, Angular only had contributions from folks who work at Google and a select few people in the, in the ecosystem. It's a bit different today, um, but like if you're coming from like a, we're now shipping a feature, um, actually RedwoodJS, I talked to them recently, they were rewriting entire pieces of infrastructure. And even though previously, RedwoodJS was a perfect early contributor, senior engineer come in and make a contribution, solve some things, over the last summer, not a great place to make a contribution because they were trying to rewrite our infrastructure off of a web pack to be trying to rewrite infrastructure to react server components. It's like some heads down stuff. And like, they need to be able to say, hey, let's slow down real quick. Let's just join the discord. We'll show you what we're working on. We'll show you releases. We just don't need any contributions right now. And then now they're ready for contributions. Like everything's switched over. Well, some stuff's still in progress, but basically what I'm getting at is like, I think what we need is like a standard and I think what we've, we've seen historically is, like, folks attempting to solve, like, with, like, reviews. So we had OpenBase, who unfortunately shut down earlier this year. Uh, it was specifically, like, write reviews on NPM packages and eventually Docker images. And if someone gives a five-star review on a Docker image, yeah, that helps me because, like, if there's ten of them, and this one has a five-star review and this one has a one-star review, I'll go with the five-star. But I think that incentivizes the wrong thing, kind of like Yelp, where... If uh, I've never been into like the, my local Applebee's and I'm just like zero stars, I hit Applebee's. Like there's no validation there. So how can we how can we justify against bad actors when everything's like an anonymous review based on the GitHub handle? Uh, so like that I don't think that's the answer. Uh, but I think what we need is like we just need to talk to more projects, more open source maintainers, and ask them. Okay, what do you use to get be successful? Like my job at GitHub, I would meet with all the top open source open source projects and ask them what was missing on GitHub. How you main, How do you manage the community? Are you using actions? Like, what's the limitation? And your team structure? Uh, how do you get support and sponsorship? Like that was my every every quarter I'd meet with that same maintainer again and again and again, and I was meeting with a hundred of them, or technically fifty. We didn't meet with all hundred, but what I'm getting at is like those questions help dictate what we were building at open source because like eventually it's, it was very clear that GitHub is going to be focused on this new AI thing. Uh, so I wanted to focus on this problem. So I took it outside of GitHub and I purposely, the reason I have even a comp, uh, a podcast I keep mentioning is because I wanted to, before building anything, talk to people, ask them, what's the secret sauce? Like, what is the thing that makes your project successful? And then once when the recording is done, like how do we emulate that into a, a product? And one of the things I really noticed is like, folks who do C Sharp don't talk to people who do JavaScript. JavaScript doesn't talk to Rust. Russ doesn't talk to any of those fancy Zig people um, and Java like on its own island. Like how can we build a thing that we can emulate success in open source regardless of framework, community, race, creed, religion, location, let's just create a standard. And that's what we're hoping to do with open source. And that's where we'll be shipping in the next quarter.
0: Well, that's awesome. (laughs) That sounds great. I mean, yeah, I'd love to be, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on all of that stuff. And yeah, I'll jump over on the, um, check out the issues and stuff like that as well. Okay. Yeah. So the other question I had was open source as an on-ramp for early stage developers. So, so quite, you know, the other side of the coin. So you were talking about like getting more senior people because they have like, the ability and the free time potentially. How do we? What do you? What are your thoughts around the other side of the coin? Using open source as a means to get people into into programming and into tech and being excited, and not just programming, right? Because there's many ways to contribute to open source. It's not just writing code. Um, just your general thoughts around that.
1: Yeah, I think 100. Uh, percent I think the the entry level early early developer. Uh, or a career stage developer, participates in open source is not required, but it will definitely like help accelerate your learning uh, and like the journey as, as well. So like my, my story is I, I graduated in 2008 with a finance degree, could not get a job in finance because of the, the economic crisis. So instead went to sales, uh, while getting sales, I've got my MBA, learned how to code during my MBA because I wanted to build a project uh, and then worked in startups since then. Um, during that time, like a year into that, I discovered a, a, a problem that I solved through a GitHub repo, uh, not really understanding open source, uh, and then emailing that maintainer and saying, hey, could you help me? I don't know how to do this, but like, I'm pretty sure what you built will solve my problem. I just don't know how to use, basically, it was a Harmony flag on Node.js. Uh, it went from like 0.11, uh, all ES6 features that were behind a Harmony flag. I had to use that. I didn't know it existed he showed, he explained to me that explained to me a bunch of other things. It was like basically a mentor for a weekend for me. Uh, that blew my mind that people would be that open about writing code and available to answer your question. And uh, the part of the, part of my on-ramp and uh, doing open source and even like being successful in my career is because the, the ability of having open source available to me. So there's like two paths like, you go CS degree, you learn uh, all like, it, it's funny. Cause like, I don't know. I'm, I'm older, like CS degree, in t- even 2008 is not what CS degree is in 2023. Like the web is much a mature platform. There's now machine learning, which is then even more mature, AI. Like the world of like this, this entire world has changed really quickly. And I don't know if everyone like even takes stock of that. But what I'm getting at is like a CS degree, you do lead code, you get a job, you whiteboard. And like you eventually get four years at a Google and you do whatever you want. The other path is like you learn on your own, you do some open source, you find out and be like some sort of like DevOps professional or some low level web engineer. And eventually, if you want to elevate into like a, a startup or a, a fang or whatever, like you can eventually get to that path. Uh, but then like there's this path of just show up and get real life work experience by working on an open source project. Um, like become friends with somebody who happens to also be starting a company and getting your end that way. Like the serendipity is like, it's it's unreal. But I think because there's such a clear paid path through CS and lead code, that not everybody jumps over the the open source. There's also an assumption that open source means nights and weekends. But when you have zero job, like it's not nights and weekends, it's your day day interaction. Uh, If you do have a job, then obviously it's nights and weekends. But if you wanted to uh, go from career switcher, bootcamp grad to mid-level developer as fast as possible, it is... Go work with people who are smarter, like smarter than you. is like a, a stretch, but like maybe have more experience and more more at bats in creating uh, releases and, and building stuff that's dependent on like for hundreds of thousands of users and downloads. Like it, it it's like it's so eye opening that if I make the same anecdote of like if you wanted to play professional sports, because uh, like frankly, developers they're getting paid as much as athletes. Like it's it's almost on par. Like it's kind of mind boggling what rookie football and basketball players make is not too far off of like a total compensation package at Google. So if I wanted to get better at basketball, I go to the YMCA, I play basketball with people who are better than me. I learned tricks, I learned how to dribble, I learned how to play off the glass. Like I just learned all from just out in the open playing with people who are actively pursuing having a competitive game. Open source is the same thing. You, You do learn how to dribble, you learn how test works, you learn how compilers work, you learn about new languages, you learn how to respond to high-level bugs, security issues, you get all that for free, well, your time in open source. Uh, and I think if like we are able to like pave that path and like build your resume based on making contributions to open source upstream, build relationships with folks that you, like if you went to college or if you want to get your graduate degree, like you build relationships that you then are for like your entire career. like. So many people I went to school with, like you, we chat every now and then, like, Hey, what's up? How are you doing? How are the kids, what are you working on? Oh, you're starting a company. Like everyone I've hired at open source, I knew before. And that's, I knew from this random encounters at conferences and open source. So if you're looking, to get a leg up and you're looking to like validate yourself in this career. And like, frankly, a lot of people burn out because like they can't continue to go through the lead code and send a hundred resumes a week maybe just do hundred PRs a week. Like if that would, that would completely change the game if people did contributions and, and learned how to participate in the ecosystem that way.
0: Yeah, well said. So since you've you've pivoted into open source full time, um, what have you learned about products, but also about open source and the community in general?
1: Yeah, so it, it really comes down to like, I my first interaction with that node, contribution. I was building a Slack group, wanted to do webhooks inside a node, had no idea how those worked, but read a couple blog posts, found the project, did it. Uh, and then I progressed my career. I was actually sitting in my first engineering role in San Francisco and like we had like a weird payments problem. Uh, like we couldn't get like the logs to sync up properly and things were failing. And the CTO at the company was like, hey, does anybody have like a friend at another company that maybe they've solved this problem already? Like let, Let's just ask our friends. And like we're private company, closed source. But his question of like, oh, we can do that. We can talk to somebody at a bigger company and be like, hey, have you seen this problem before? Or I go to a local meetup and be like, oh, this is what we got stuck on. Like anybody else seen the solution? And that like blew my mind that you're able to like share notes. Like you're not sharing secret proprietary information. You're just like, how do you write code to solve this problem? And that blew my mind. Cause then I was like, oh, there's tons of blog posts of people solving this problem and sharing it. Let me share it myself. It's so like when we solve pro when I solve problems, and also convince my peers at the company, hey, this is the right way I wrote the code. Here's a blog post on like my entire trajectory of how I sourced this information, found this, tried a couple of different styles. Here it is, and like my peers are getting reviewed much faster every time I did that. So and usually what happens is you you write a PR and it sits for a week or whatever or 14 days, uh, that's a long time to like not know what to do next. So like you go work on something else, it gets lost, things get stale. So while you're waiting, we're at a quick blog post on a Friday. And um, so from that point, I found out uh, at that company, it was a boot camp. Uh, we were building curriculum. I built curriculum for open source contributions. So like, how do you engage with maintainers? How do you participate in the ecosystem? And I got a couple of folks who graduated the boot camp who made their first contribution and ended up getting jobs based on open source contributions of projects we've all heard of. And uh, it's like, it's a long tail. It's a bit of sales as well. It's like, Go read the room. Go work the crowd. Go hang out in the Discord. Answer comment like comment on issues and stuff like that. Like show up as like a real human being. And that was basically the curriculum. Like be real, <laughs> don't be rude, uh, and you'll be good. And like what happens is the maintainers are like, oh, you're it seems like you really care. Let me just like pair with you and show you what to do. And then you do that thing and they're like, oh, you want something else? Well, let me show you how to do it. And then by the third con- contribution, you're like, oh, I can do it myself. So now you're part you're contributing upstream consistently. And that was this mind blowing that it was just that easy. Uh, easy is like air quotes, cause obviously not everyone has like, there's a lot of social anxiety and like interacting and like imposter syndrome, but that's what I worked with. That's why we did the curriculum and we worked with these folks to like work through that stuff. Um, takes a lot of time. Fast forward, I was at Netlify uh, as my next job, employee number three. And I was, there was a correlation to like me doing open source contributions and sharing Netlify as like a solution to like host your docs and stuff like that, to like user adoption. So they pushed me to do DevRel instead of engineer. Um, so I told them no, and then six months later we hired a second front engineer and then I did DevRel full time. And I built this little project at the time to maintain all my open source contributions called open OpenSauce. So I just wanna see the list of my PRs across multiple repos uh, so I can track and say, oh, comment here, comment there. Oh, okay, let me go ahead and fix this thing they responded to because uh, notifications were not anywhere near as good as what they are today on GitHub, not perfect. Um, and then because of that thing I built, GitHub invited me to work at GitHub because uh, that was one of the first tools to build in the GraphQL API. So basically I've had like this weird eclectic background of like an MBA doing sales to engineer to DevRel, then working at GitHub and the product team, talking to open source maintainers, finding out what's missing in the product, uh, to then saying, okay, well, I found something really, really big that's missing. It's insights. Uh, let's go ahead and build this thing. So, I've just always been really engaged in like uh, I, I I wanted to understand like the folks that are using the product, like what are blockers, how are you liking it. Uh, I'm just always like super interested and happy to learn because like I would not be where I'm at today without open source and without people who also answered a bunch of my questions. Uh, so always willing to answer other people's questions.
0: Amazing. So, tough question. What is, what are your, I don't know, I don't, should I put a number? Yeah. What is your like five favorite open source projects?
1: Five favorite open source projects. That's a good good question. And I would say Astro is definitely up high on the list. I don't know if it's like number one, but uh, I really enjoy the community. They're very responsive in Discord. And I think they're just doing like really interesting tech that it's not, it's like basically, um, I wouldn't say it's iframes, but like the, the Astro Islands technology of doing whatever flavor of JavaScript framework. Um, they also have early VEAT adopters. Uh, I guess V would be another top one. Uh, it's very interesting to see like um, projects that, they, they kind of cross boundaries. Um, so like Astro, any front end framework you could use in Astro, it's website builder, it's actually less JavaScript, it's way more HTML than JavaScript. It helps me build product, like projects, how you would build them 20 years ago, which is HTML, and then piecemeal JavaScript into it. It's how we did it 20 years ago. Uh, We don't do it that many, like we start with NPM install now. Um, So I I appreciate that, because that's not where I started my career at. I started my career with jQuery, but I quickly went into like the framework wars and like Ruby on Rails and React and Angular and stuff like that. Uh, Vite I love because it it also lends into, if you just want to start with a blank HTML file, you can start with the HTML, add in your script tag, and it just does all of the sort of magic behind the scenes for you. Um, and it helps when, I got to learn VE early days with Avenue. I got to meet him and have him on a podcast and we pair program on some stuff. So I have a better understanding of VE and a better understanding of like what it abstracts away and how it how elegant it is. So definitely enjoy that project. Um, man, I, I guess I, I, I do enjoy Next.js. I know Next.js has evolved quite a bit nowadays. Um, but I think for getting people up and running really quickly, which is a counterpoint to what I was saying, like if you don't want to know how the enter- enterers work, uh, you just need to site up on the on the web and deploy it as fast as possible. Like Next is definitely something to reach for. Uh, and then I've been playing with a lot of like open AI endpoints. Uh, so like uh, specifically like their embeddings API. Uh, there's a lot of cool examples. So I can't pay up to like one, one project, but I know like the um, uh, the best thing I learned about OpenAI from was a tool that um, Nutlope, is he's on GitHub, created a tool to generate commit messages based on the code you wrote. Oh, okay. And so the to understand like embeddings, you like you take the files in your Git history, and you basically put it into like a semantic search embedding library, which is the OpenAI embeddings, uh, and then it will generate best guess on the AI like, oh, this is what you here's a commit message you could write, uh, and not like the best use of, uh, of AI, but it's a really good use of learning AI and how it works and really enjoyed that as well. So uh, last one I'd probably mention is like Hugging Face, uh, the amount of hosted libraries, uh, sorry, models that are on on Hugging Face, um, absolutely amazing. I, I feel like I, I get this, I get start off much further than I, I would have had if I, I wanted to do machine learning and AI uh, and there's like so many hosted um I don't know. If listeners are familiar. Hugging Face is kind of like the GitHub for machine learning models. So if you're like, I want a model that identifies spammers on GitHub, it's like I can host that on Hugging Face. Anybody can use that, and I can get off to the races pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, it is mind blowing the amount of stuff that's on there. It's and and also the hardware it runs on is. Whoa. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I mean, thank you for VC-backed funded companies because I don't know. Like OpenAI obviously had their issues a couple of weeks ago with their CEO departing and then coming back uh, but like it comes down to like they raised 1.2 billion or is a billion yeah 1.2 billion dollars hugging face has raised like another 300 million recently uh, uh it's a very very expensive problem to solve and i i is. appreciate that they're trying to solve it because uh, eventually like the hope is that more of the law everything gets cheaper eventually mm-hmm. uh but like i'm more than happy for them to take vc money to solve it for all of us uh, and then we can benefit in a couple of years
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah Amazing. Well, thanks so much again for joining me, Uh, Brian. This was really a great conversation. Um, I'm happy open Source exists now. I'm using it a lot. And um, thanks for the the bit of a walkthrough. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to to the new things that's going to land in it soon. And um, I'm going to check out the open-source repositories and see what there is to learn and do and contribute. And uh, yeah, if there's any, is there anything you'd like to to leave us with? Any, where can people find you? How can people support you?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's so BDougie on GitHub, BDougieYo on Twitter. And if you want to support us, we have a CLI, which is called the Pizza CLI. Uh, it's built in Go. And honestly, we just need more feedback. Like if there's something you want to see, like it's much faster for us to turn around CLI features and then it's for us to ship UI features, because UI gets some, we got to do some, get on the web, making sure it's worked on different devices. But if you're just looking for data, um, please open an issue uh, or grab an issue. Um, that, I like, think we're like 20 issues on that, on that project, uh, there's a handful of stars. So um, yeah, we'd love feedback for folks who are, if any of this is interesting, you're like, hey, it'd be cool if I could see this about my project. Uh, please let us know, like we just need need see more use cases and that we could ship, uh, test like, our sandbox is a CLI and then we throw it up on the, uh, the UI eventually.
0: Ah, cool, cool. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, glad I asked. Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Brian, again. Um, have a wonderful rest of your day, and um, I'll be keeping an eye on all the cool things that you make. All right, cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Mechanical Inc. podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have something to add? Continue the conversation on GitHub and join the community on Slack. Until the next one, keep all All the things things open. open.